Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. Happy New Year, y'all. How's everybody doing? Come on, make some noise. Make some noise, everybody. Come on, let's get excited. Amen, amen. Wow, yes, Happy New Year, guys. It's awesome. 2017 is here. 2016 is gone. And uh, I'm just so grateful for another new year. Uh, thank you guys for coming out to join us. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, thank you for just basically setting time aside to come worship with us. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Why don't we all stand up before we begin? All right. Now we begin each service with a testimony. And uh, I would like to call up my sister Carol Wampler. Yes, please give a warm welcome as she comes up to share what God is doing in her life. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Happy New Year's. Um, so basically, just the testimony that I have over my life um, has been, um, you know, God just basically spoke to my heart one day and he told me, get up and sin no more. And that's the testimony that I actually feel like having today. He placed that in my heart again. And, you know, like, you know, this is like a new me, like a new year type of thing that the world, people say, right? People in the world, like, it's new me, new year. But, you know, like, God doesn't want you to be a new you unless you're a new you in him. So, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So I invite everyone to have a relationship with Jesus, to repent of your sins. That's the best, like, new New Year's resolution you can make is to get up and sin no more. When God, um, you know, when the, the lady was... Uh, the, Hold on, where should the, should I pass it to the, ah, the word, give me one second, the adulteress, the adulterous girl, <laughs> she came to Jesus, right, Jesus uh, told her, actually have the passage here too, give me one second, sorry, um, Jesus basically told her, he's like, go now, so she came to him, right, she's like, you know, like, I'm, I'm, they call me an adultery and all this stuff, and he basically just told her, he's like, you know, do they condemn you? And then he, she said, no. And then she said, neither, neither do I condemn you. Uh, Jesus declared, go on and leave your life of sin. He didn't say stay with your life of sin. He said leave your life of sin. So just leave your life of sin behind. 2016, whatever you did, repent, turn to Jesus, and be resurrected with Christ and be a new creation in Christ. This is the best thing you can ever do Amen. to yourself. Amen. So thank you, God. Thank you for being an awesome God. Thank you for being a justice God. God, we um, just pray over everyone here, God, that they just, you know, uh, really uh, declare, you know, uh, freedom in their lives for of anything, God, of any sin, of anything that they have done not for not to glorify you, God. I just pray that everyone just glorifies you in this place, and they just start this new year in you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me sing it out. Go on and speak against my power in us. The judge is mighty, fans I'm going in faith. Right when the gavel fell, I heard the freedom bring through the heart of hell. I'm going free. I'm going free. Glory, glory. 
back. I won't go back again. That's just not who I Lord, I'm a brand new man. I'm going free. I'm on a narrow road. It's paved with grace and hope. It's going to lead me home. I'm going free. I'm going free. voice and sing it. We are free. We're free.
sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus.
that as we worship, heaven comes down, the angels join. As we start off this new year, God, we want to start it off right in worship. We wanted to start it off in, in communion with you. So right now, as we get ready to sing this next song, I just want us to prepare our hearts for what God is going to do and what God's going to speak. I believe that what God did in 2016, amen, he was a good God. Think of all the things that God has blessed us and what he's done, amen. There's so much more. It can only get better, amen. But you may go through things. You may go through things. And right now, let's just prepare our hearts for everything that God has in store for us. And as we pray, let's not only pray for ourselves, but God bless me, God, I want to get this. And that's great prayers, but let's also pray that God uses us to be a witness. Amen. God, we thank you. Come on. In your own words, let's fill this place with our prayers right now. God, there's no one like you, God. We pray that as we prepare and as we worship for 2017, God, we come earnestly seeking you. We ask that you go before us. Holy Spirit, come prepare the way for us. God, the Holy Ghost encounters, God, that more people would get saved and know you, Jesus. Oh, God, that there would be more people to come to the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, God, do what only you can do. God, we seek your face.
mercy, you give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is Sing it out. 
to Jesus. He's listening. He's listening to your song. He's listening to your voice. you guys to make your way out of your seats. I want you to come up to the front and I want it to be symbolic of you guys stepping into this new year with your life on the altar. Come on. If 2017 for you this year is going to belong to Jesus, I want you to symbolically step into this year right at the altar and say, Jesus, I lay my life down. I'm giving you my marriage. I'm giving you my children. I give you my job, I give you my life, my dreams, my aspirations. Come on, keep singing. Great is he. He is so great. And as a church family, come on, don't be afraid. Come up closer to the front. You guys come up. We can make two lines. Let's make two rows. Come on. Are you Lord? Come on, he's so great. We're going to go after Jesus, guys. Come on. We're going to enter this new year. With thanksgiving in our hearts, we're going to enter his courts with praise because he's so good, because he's so great, because he's the king of majesty. Come on.
King of majesty, you are great, and what you do is great, oh God. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and the praise in this place today. Be glorified and be magnified in the praises of your people. Be glorified and be magnified in the church today. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate your victory. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your resurrecting power that is alive inside of us. We give you praise, oh God, in Jesus' name. You guys can stay where you're at. I want us to take communion as a church family. Let's stay in the attitude of worship and prayer. I'm going to release the ushers at this time to pass out the elements of communion. Aren't you guys glad you came to church on New Year's Day? What better way to kick off your year? in the presence of the almighty God right here at the altars. So if you just walked in, I just invited everybody to come up to the front. So if you want to join us, you can. If not, you can stay. But I want us to take communion today as a church family. 
You can stand next to your loved ones. I want you guys to pray today. We're going to go after Jesus. As the elements are being passed around, I just want you to know we do this on the first Sunday of every month as an ordinance that we practice to remember Christ. And as we do that, I want to preach the gospel to you this morning. For those of you in this room who are not right with God, you have not been born again. You're not in a redeeming, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you were at one point, maybe you backslid, you've allowed your heart to become lukewarm. Now is the time to get right with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The key word here is repent. You cannot hide in your sin and act like you don't have sin. God sees everything. Everything will one day come into the light. You cannot claim to be without sin because if you do, you will deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. And our lives must be founded on the truth of Jesus Christ. He has to be our foundation. And the gospel message is the foundation. Jesus saves. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and is alive today and ready to forgive you of your sins and wash you clean if you confess them. Do not try to hide and act like everything is okay because every single one of our deeds would be laid bare one day before the eyes of a living God. And the Bible says you do not want to fall into the hands of a living God and not be right with him. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give an opportunity for those of you who have either been playing games with God, you have not been living right, you've never truly surrendered it over to Jesus, stop trying to do it by yourself. Let go and let God. He is bigger than you. You are not God. You cannot save yourself, clean yourself, fix yourself. It's only by the power of Jesus Christ. So let's close our eyes and let's pray. If you've been business with Jesus today, you'll come into agreement with this prayer. Lord, I thank you for every single person that is in this room listening to this gospel message of salvation. I pray for conviction to fall right now so that they will confess their sins, repent, turn from their wicked ways, be washed from all of their unrighteousness because everything that we do apart from you, Jesus, is wicked in your sight. Because sin entered the world, sin came into our nature. And without the blood of Jesus, we cannot please you. And so I ask that today they get right with you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give them a hand clap of praise as best as you can with this cup in your hand. Praise the Lord. How many of you guys ready to take communion today, today together today, to start off our new year, 2017? I'm going to begin and I'm going to pray for the wafer. I'm going to pray for all, both of the elements at the same time because what I want us to do after we partake of them together is I want you guys to spend a few moments praying with your families and blessing your families, blessing your, your husband and your wife and praying for your children. And if you're, if you're around friends in this room, get together with your friends, pray for them, and let's get excited and believe for God's goodness and blessing in this new year. Amen. So let's hold up the wafer. Lord, we thank you for this wafer that represents your body that was broken for us. We thank you that you were beaten and bruised, the nails that got pierced through your hands and feet, Jesus. You did that for us. 
we can't save ourselves, oh God, we need you. We know that we need a savior and we thank you that you paid that price so that we could be saved and experience heaven on earth. We love you, Jesus. Let's partake of the wafer. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you for this grapefruit, grape juice that represents your blood. We thank you that by your blood we are washed clean. It's by your stripes that we are healed. And Lord, we thank you for the power of the blood. We remember what you did for us 2,000 years ago, God, and now we enter a new year with you on our side, God, and we are more than conquerors because you loved us. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the juice. Hallelujah. The band's going to lead us in a communion song, worship song. I want you guys to turn to your loved ones and spend some, uh, some few moments here just praying, blessing each other, speak life over your children. Let's speak blessing, speak things into the air. Come on. Some of, some of you guys might have to repent to each other today. Some marriages might need to do some repenting, saying, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. We're entering into this new year strong. Jesus, lead us with your wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Ask for the fear of the Lord this year, that you would fear the Lord and shun evil. Come on. today. We're not in a hurry. Jesus, take the wheel. We're letting go and letting God. Come on, this is your moment. This is your defining moment right now as we enter the new year. Make it all about Jesus. Come on. continue worshiping to this song come on as you guys finish off your prayers let's close out in a powerful way we're experiencing heaven on earth together as a body of christ as god's household come on Woo! you guys can stand up to your feet if you're done let's go after jesus one more time during this worship come on Hallelujah. I've never been, no, I've never been closer to heaven than I am right now. 
sing it over your family. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you that we could experience heaven on earth because you pour out your joy. You pour out your peace that surpasses understanding. You've given us a taste of heaven through experiencing relationship and marriage, God, with our children. We give you the glory and we say thank you today. Be glorified in this worship time. Be glorified in the word. Be glorified and magnified in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Come on. He is worthy. He is so good. You guys can remain standing. We're going to confess our confession of faith together. This is our Christian worldview. That's why we recite it week after week. So if you're ready, let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Clap it up. If you need prayer, we're going to have prayer workers up here at the front. Spend some time hanging out right now. Give somebody a hug or a handshake.
All right. Welcome to Metro Praise International on New Year's Day. You guys excited to come to church today? It's wonderful to see you guys fill up the second service. Welcome, welcome. Our services here are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for students uh, 11 to 18. So they're just doing awesome, rocking it out for Jesus, winning their high schools to the Lord. We have an awesome youth pastor, great, great, amazing youth leader. So if you know anybody in that age group, invite them to be here on Friday nights because that's where it's at for them. We, we have a vision here at MPI, a strategy and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people, two greatest commandments that he gave to us to live our life by. And then we have a strategy to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to keep preaching the gospel to the lost around you. And our goal by doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Does that get you excited hearing that every week? Come on. Well, you're going to get more excited because we have a video for you. It's our life group video for the new quarter, kicking off the new year for January, February, and March. Take a look. Find out what's happening in the back of your handouts. You'll see the schedule for these next three months. Pick a life group, guys. Get connected. Uh, kick off this new year getting connected with you and your family in a life group that you know that you're going to grow in. So take a look at the video as they get it prepared. All right. We want to invite you to our Bible study every Friday at 7 p.m. Where we have a time of worship, word, and fellowship. We also have child care provided, so come check us out and check us out on our Facebook page. Hope to see you there. Hi, my name is Lauren Sienski. This is Cynthia Rodon, and we lead the Single Moms Life Group. We meet twice a month on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. here at the church. We hope to see you there. Check us out on Facebook. Child care is always provided. Hi, I'm Rachel Rivera, and I lead the Marriage Life Group with my husband, Ricky, once a month on Sundays at 5 p.m. here at the church. This quarter, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to talk about honoring each other in your marriage. So come check us out. Check out our Facebook page, and we do have child care. See you there. Hello, everybody. My name is Tina, and I just want to invite all your children who are ages infant to 11 years old to come and join us at our Impact Royal Rangers on Wednesdays at 6.30 here at the church where we train them up in the way that they should go. Hey, what's up, Metro Praise? We are Pastors Tony and Jerry Vivid. Join us Friday nights at 7 p.m. at our place for adult Bible study. This quarter, we're going to be going over the Old Testament. Um, it's going to be a great time, especially if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament. Come join us. What's up? My name is Lawrence. I'm one of the leaders of the Youth Resistance Life Group. We meet up every first and third Tuesday right here at the church at 6 p.m. We'd love for you guys to show up. We have an awesome time of fun, food, fellowship, worship. Come and get impacted by the presence of God. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm the leader of Encounter Night Life Group, and we just want to invite you out every last Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. We're going to have a very power-packed time of worship and prayer. If you get off work late, we're going to be having our extended times of worship, so come on out. We'll see you there. What's up, everybody? My name is Rudy. I'm the leader of the Evangelism Life Group. We meet every Saturday at 5 p.m. to go preach the gospel on the streets of Chicago. Join us here for a time of instruction and an application to preach the word in the streets. I'll see you guys on the streets. What's up, everyone? I'm Yuli. I want to invite you to come out to MPI Gain Outreach Life Group. 
It is a great time where we preach the gospel to gay members all across the city of Chicago. I would love if you come and join us. You will know how to preach to gay members and how to love them more. Hi, I'm Ashley Munoz. I want to invite everyone from the ages 11 to 18 to the Ambassadors Life Group that meets every first and third Saturday. Come for fun, fellowship, and reaching into the Word. See you there. Woohoo! Come on, give it up for our life groups, our life group leaders. Look to your neighbor, say it's time to get connected. Don't be shy. Come on. So that's uh, the schedule for the quarter. We want to let you guys know with the snapshot what's happening for, for this week. So kicking it off. They'll switch the slide here shortly. Kicking it off Tuesday, we have the Resistance Youth Life Group, 6 p.m. meeting at the church. Wednesday, every week, King's Kids for infants to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. This is where you want your children to be on a weekly basis. We have amazing children's workers pouring into the children, discipling them. It's awesome. Thursdays are gang outreach. Meet here at the church at 7.00. Fridays, two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivid's house. Be there at 7 o'clock. Get refreshed by the word of God and the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of the Lord. And then Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth Life Group, 11 to 18, 1 p.m. here at the church. So much stuff happening throughout the week. Find a place to get connected. Look to your neighbors, say, get mentored. <clears throat> we want to mentor you through the 101 and 201 book. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life, and this is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church who will greatly impact your life. They'll train you up to be a disciple for Jesus, encourage you in your walk with the Lord, pray with you, answer your questions. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, and this is where we train you how to be a leader in the church so that one day you can make disciples and give to others what was once given to you and what will continue to be given to you so you could one day be ordained as a deacon or an elder in the church then we want to send you out somebody say send we want to send you out to do evangelism every saturday they meet here from five to eight with rudy salt leading up the team hitting the streets preaching the gospel sharing your faith and what god has done in your life with complete strangers uh, the Bible says don't be afraid of what to say because at that time the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say, okay? So it's going to really encourage you to get to a new level in your walk with the Lord and make you bold for Jesus. So to recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect you, mentor you, and send you out, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Praise God. You're not here by accident. At this time, we're going to learn about tithes and offerings. We're going to get into our giving lesson in just a moment. I just want to let you know that the Bible teaches that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. An offering is above the tithe, a separate amount that is between you and the Lord, which we designate towards missions and towards building. So let's get into our giving lesson today. You can go to the Metro Praise Facebook page, click on the link there. But we are on section one, lesson one. First lesson for the year, this, the, this book is called The Disciples Giving Book. There's 52 lessons in this book, one lesson for every week out of the year, and it just really teaches you and challenges you in your life of uh, giving tithes and offerings. So we're going to go through it once again. We finished it last week. Now we start over. Isn't that great? Lesson one, the tithe was implied with Cain and Abel. Definition of tithe, 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 4. Verses 3 through 7. Genesis 4, 3 through 7. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. 
But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Somebody say, ooh. Three main points. Number one, God judges what we offer to him. God judged both offerings on a standard that must have been known to both of them in advance. Most likely, the standard of giving was similar to the tithe, which was probably given to Adam by God and passed down. So there was this an idea that you knew that you had to give a right offering to the Lord, and that's why we tithe and give offerings today. So in that time, Cain gave his offering, Abel gave his, but Cain's God did not like, and Abel's God's liked. And so what the lesson there is, Cain gave his leftovers. He gave some of his stuff, some of his fruits, but Abel gave the best from his flock. And so that's what this lesson is gearing towards is there is a principle, there is a command to give an offering, and then we will be judged on the what that we give because God wants the best from our best. He does not want our leftovers. Number two, everyone can do right. God clearly tells Cain that if he does what is right, this implies keeping the giving standard like the tithe, his gift will be accepted. And three, don't let sin rule over you. The opposite of doing what God's of the opposite of doing what God commands is sin, even when it comes to giving. Thus, we are to be obedient to his standard of giving. So let's read a summary. The very fact that Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted implies a standard like the tithe from the time of Adam and Eve. So we go all the way back then, and we see that they were giving their offerings before the Lord, and that's why we do it today. Let's apply this to our life in two ways. Number one, resist the temptation to sin and withhold the tithe from God. If that was you last year, make a new command before the Lord and say, I'm going to be a faithful tither and a faithful giver of offerings. And number two, be a tither. Always give God your best with your first fruit. Don't give God your leftovers. Come on. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants the best that he's blessed you with to go back to him so that he could keep on giving you so you could be blessed to be a blessing. Amen. If you guys are excited about that, let's recite this confession over our life together for this new year on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If that gets you excited, please stand up to your feet with me this afternoon, and let's prepare to give God our best today. our tithes and offering. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We designate our offerings here towards mission and towards building. And we have an announcement to make for 2017, our new building fund. Come on, make some noise. You guys, it's so awesome. We rallied together as a church to raise the building fund monies that we wanted to accomplish for last year. This year, we want to raise monies for a new projector new projector screen. We want everything to be bigger and brighter and crisper and cleaner. So we're going to be putting monies towards that. The storage shed that you see back there right now, we want to tear that down 
put a bigger and badder looking one out there. We're going to store all of our stuff there, save money that we're paying on a, a monthly basis for rental storage down the street and move everything into there. And it's going to be so amazing. And um, we want to change the floor in the foyer to match this tile, this wood that we have up here on the stage. So a lot of nice, awesome projects. It's going to be an amazing thing. And uh, God's going to do it. So we want to rally together, give our best, honor God. So this is what we ask of you guys. Number one, pray. Ask God uh, what you should give. And number two, listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Be sensitive to hear the amount. And three, give and give generously. And we're going to commit it to the Lord. Our goal is to raise 10000 A few little other details in there. Not, not enough space to put it up there. But believe that God's going to do awesome things in us and through us as we continue to reach this city. Amen? Let's recite this first. Oh. Four ways to give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry if you have any questions about that. And number four, you could give online. Use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very easy, convenient. Let's recite this verse. It's a new verse for the new year. Are you guys ready? 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your bountiful blessings, provision, and prosperity in our lives. We give you the glory. We thank you, God. We declare that this year we will be faithful tithers, faithful givers of offering. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. I pray that you bring increases and raises into our life. I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do and give. I pray you bless Metro Praise. Help us to reach Chicago, reach the lost in the city and the communities around us, and reach the nations with the gospel. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are happy to be in church in the new year? Can I get a what? What? Come on, did you guys have a good time? All right, well, I'm going to tell you what, man. It's going to be an intense service right now. There is no way for me to lie to you about that, so I hope you had a good party because now we're going to have a Holy Ghost party. You guys ready? And you know the thing about a Holy Ghost party, Holy Ghost party don't stop. Amen. So for me as a pastor, 
when I saw that the New Year's fell upon Sundays, I was like, oh, Lord, no, no, no. Because the problem in our culture is that so many people put holidays before God. And it's very discouraging to me as a pastor because I'm like, hold on, isn't this about Jesus? So I saw like some churches canceling service on Christmas. That blows my mind. They're like, we're canceling service so that people can go home and be with their family. And I'm like, well, what do you think Christmas is about? Christmas is about Jesus. And if the church doesn't tell people that's what it's about, the people will never know. And then the same thing is with New Year's. I'm seeing some people cut back on services and different things. It is just discouraging for me as a pastor because I'm like, if we don't look at New Year's on a Sunday as an opportunity to come to church and start our life right with God, we've got this thing backwards, okay? And so I want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here, but this church is not here like I'm on American Idol. And I'm like saying, I'm a pastor, pick me, pick me. I really want you to come to my church. No, we come to church because we love God and it's our honor to do so. Now I hear this all the time from people that they got to take a break from church. And I not only hear it from the people that come to church, I hear it from the pastors in the church. So both are messed up. The pastors are messed up and the people are messed up. Pastors are on depression medication, overworked, burnout, no time for their family, saying, oh, I need a break from church and all of this. And I'm like, man, if you need a break from church, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. So for me, I've been pastoring since I've been 22 years old. I've earned these gray hairs, y'all. I have earned these right here. And it's my 40th birthday this month, January 19th, turning the big 4-0. And I thank you for the applause, but I don't say it for that. It's just, you know, living life for Jesus. But you know what? I say that to tell you I have never missed a Sunday whether uh, unless I'm out on a mission field. So I have preached every Sunday. I've never been sick on a Sunday. Never, never, ever, ever. Ever, ever. And I always have this much energy every single day unless there's something wrong. My wife will tell you, and this is why I don't drink caffeine. I come caffeinated. You know, as my drink, as the Lord served me up, I was caffeinated. Now, some of y'all decaf as a person, and that's okay because we balance each other out in life. But listen to me. I have never not wanted to be at church. I have never not wanted to be in the presence of God. Because when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I lost all my friends. I didn't have any of my friends anymore because they didn't want to do the right things. They wanted to keep doing what they're doing. So here's my thing. It's like, can I eat uh, lasagna at 10 o'clock at night on Wednesdays? No, I can't eat it. Even if my mom makes my favorite lasagna. You know why? Because every Wednesday after King's Kids, my wife and family and our kids in the minivan, we stop at McDonald's and I eat all these chicken nuggets. I eat all these like uh, French fries and all of this cheeseburger stuff and I have no room. So 10 o'clock Wednesday like clockwork I am stuffed with McDonald's. And here's the problem. You know why people don't have time for church? And I'm not saying this is you guys because you came today. I'm excited. But you know why our culture and the holidays forgets about church, forgets about Jesus? It's because they're so bloated on the world. They're so bloated on worldly parties, worldly things, that they have no room for what's good. And listen, if all I ate over and over and over again was McDonald's, I would probably forget the taste of, of lasagna. I would forget what my mama really had cooking. And so here's my thing. Today in the culture, we need to get back to Jesus.
We need to get back to the importance of the church. So my New Year's message for you today is not a pep talk. I, I know that a lot of churches on New Year's Day, they want to tell you you can make it. It's going to be your greatest year. You're going to do awesome things. Now, I love encouraging you. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that the Word encourages, but the Bible also talks about the Word doing other things than just encouraging. So take, for example, this is not even the message. This is the intro to the intro. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says all Scripture talking about itself, the scripture of the Bible, is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So judge me, judge me, y'all. Come at me, bro. Come at me. Judge me right now. When you come to this church, do you get taught? Yes or no? Be honest. Do you get rebuked? Praise God. How many know what rebuke means? How many probably never heard that word till you came to this church? You're like, I, I learned a new word when I came here. Rebuke means stop sinning, stop doing things wrong. How many of y'all ever get corrected when you come here by the word of God? How many get trained in righteousness? Okay, where does it tell you here to make you feel good or do those things? Now, does good teaching, rebuking, correcting, training result in good feelings? Absolutely. I am full of the joy of the Lord because I'm full of the Word of God and the power of God, the presence of God. But it comes through teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Think about that as your diet. And then in uh, the next chapter, verse 2, Paul continues on and he summarizes those points and he basically says, preach the Word. Everybody say, preach the Word. Thank you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Here's the three things. Here's the three-word summary. Correction. How do we do on that? Do we do pretty good at correction here? How about rebuke? That's the second one. And what's the third one? Encourage. Now listen, that means every single time you come here, whether it's today, whether it's a year from now, it doesn't matter from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you should get these three things every time you come. Correction, rebuking, encouraging. Now what do most of us just want to hear all the time? What do we want to hear? Encouragement. Encourage me, Pastor. Tell me I can make it this year. Tell me I'm going to have a great year. Tell me I'm going to do that. Well, you know what? I just can't do that. i got to also what? I've got to correct and rebuke. Do you guys understand my trouble as a pastor now? How do I come to this church, think about this, week after week after week, and literally, literally, let me just have a fireside chat with you guys, literally have all the answers, all the answers in the book. I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just saying I have all the answers here to every problem in marriage, every problem with your kids, every problem with society, every problem, every answer, and I get an hour to explain it all to you. Isn't that so? That's like a problem. That's a, that's a hard thing to do. So what I see a lot of pastors doing is they get stuck with one thing. They get stuck with one message, one theme. And so a lot of them, it's like literally every time I listen to some of my friends and these guys that I like on TV, and they're good and they're good preachers, but it's literally the same message repackaged over and over and over again. And really what the message is, is you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. They'll tell you a story about something in the Bible. Look, they made it. You can make it. And then the next week, you can make it. You can make it. Don't give up because you can make it. And every single message is like that. And then I got other friends. Maybe they're a little more angry. They're more sassy. And like every message is like rebuke. You're in sin. Rebuke. Stop doing this. Rebuke. And so what a good pastor has to do is take all of those things and bring them together. Now watch this. Watch this. 
starting off every year since I can remember, and I've been here for a long time. We started our church in March 2005. We start off January focusing on what we're here to do in the church. And today, literally, I preached for an hour and 45 minutes. I talked about everything you can possibly imagine. I talked about North Korea. I talked about Oprah Winfrey. I talked about persecution. I rebuked every possible sin I could think of. I talked about stories from my childhood. I brought up everything I could think of. And I still didn't get it all out. I still didn't get it all out. Do you understand the problem that I have? So here's the deal. The Bible says that you have to now study to show yourself approved. You need to take this year to study the Word of God if you want to grow. Because if I just came here, started off your new year, and said, you're going to make it, you're going to make it, but you don't know the Word of God, you're really not going to make it. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to face plant. Does anybody here want to face plant? And then if all I do is preach hour, hour long messages, five hour long messages, let's just say right now we just stay till seven. And some people have been around with me in the Bible college setting or an outreach setting where I have gone on for four and five hours. There is an end. There is an end to the Joe Rostick sermon. It takes usually about four hours for me to get there. My voice <laughs> starts to go out. And then it's, I just stop. But listen, even if I did that and you don't know what the Bible teaches, it won't, it won't do anything for you. So here's what we we got to do right now. Here's what we got to do. I've literally got 45 minutes to take on what seems like an impossible task, but the Holy Spirit makes it possible. I need to teach you this right here. Here it is. Y'all ready? The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. This means every single area of your life, you need truth. You need truth. You got to get it from the church. Isn't that quite, kind of crazy? You don't want to hear that, right? You don't want to hear that. You want to hear I can get it somewhere else. If, if I don't like Aldi, I'll go to Jewel. If I don't like Jewel, I'll go to the Whole Foods Market. You don't want to hear there's only one place to get it. We don't want to hear that. We, wanna, we want this idea of where I can get it wherever I want it. But this is what the Bible teaches. The only place you will ever get truth is from the church. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, the Word of God gives me truth. Absolutely. Where did it come from? The church. Where did it come from? Did the, did the Bible just float down out of heaven? Did angels come and hand you the Bible inscribed in, in gold like the Mormon church, golden tablets? Did you find them? No. Where did the Bible come from? The church. The church, what we do right here, what we do in this building means everything about what we're going to do out tomorrow and everywhere else we go. Right here. Literally think about this. What we do here determines what we do out there. And so, man, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, in, in my olden days, I used to get mad at the people who came for those who didn't. That was always crazy. Like, why are you doing that? Like, uh, so take, for example, a holiday day like today. It's a little low on numbers. I would yell at y'all instead of the people who weren't here. And it would be crazy because you guys would be like, hey, we're here. We actually showed up. But I would just get out all my rebukes. And I'd be like, I feel better. Now go tell your friends that who didn't show up. But, you know, but listen, listen. I'm not going to do that. I just got to get into this message. We're starting a new sermon series for January. It's all about the church being the foundation and the pillar of the truth. And here's the deal. If you can get this, you can spend the rest of your year focusing on all these things you want to do and know that you have the pillar and the foundation to do it. So what do you want to build this year? You want to build a family? I'm going to teach you how to build a family on the pillar and foundation of the truth. What do you want to do? Build your business this year? I'm going to teach you how to have the pillars and the foundation. You see, if all I do is talk about business, you'll miss the pillars. How many think it would be a good idea to get up on a ladder and start unscrewing these pillars right now? 
Like, hey, let's get them up there. Let's go, man. Let's go, Nico. Nico, I want you to unscrew this right up here and start just cranking it down and get her off. I mean, would you guys stay around for that? What if we brought in all of our kids and said, kids, watch. They're going to take down the pillars. Would you do that? You wouldn't want that. How many of you would like if I started just destroying the foundation? Let's say maybe we're in the Sears Tower. And I say, while we're up here on the 110th floor, we're going to have somebody down there start destroying the foundation. How long would you guys stay in that building for? Now listen, how long can we stay in this country for and expect success if we tear the foundations down and take out the pillars? How long can your school be successful if we take out the pillars and the foundation? How long can your marriage be successful if you take out the pillars and the foundation? Now, what does the Bible call the pillar and foundation? Let's get to it. 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul is talking. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how to conduct yourselves in God's household. Everybody say God's house. Thank you. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. What is God's household? The church. What is the pillar and foundation of the church? Uh, what is the pillar and the foundation of the truth? The church. God's household is called what? The church. The pillar and foundation of the truth is called the you see why I have a problem as a pastor? Because sometimes, you know, it's like we want to have people come to our church. Like, I want you to come here, and, and maybe I'll do nice things, and we'll give away stuff, and I'll sell a funny joke or have great music. But do you understand that there's nothing that I can really do for you to change your life unless you accept this truth? So it's like I can manipulate you. I can tell you lies. I can tell you have truth. But nothing will really build your life unless you believe this. Now, some people have gone so far off on this that they claim that the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church is the one church of the living God. That is a lie. There is no Pope in the Bible. There is no saints being prayed to in the Bible. There is no confessional booth in the Bible. Everything that makes Roman Catholic Church what it is today does not exist in the Bible. No smells, no bells, no priest. Are you listening to me? So what this is talking about is not cathedrals. Did Jesus walk around dressed like the Pope, yes or no? Did he have a hat on? Did he, did, he have a, did he have a staff? Did he have people kiss his ring? Did we ever think that was normal? Why are we doing that, right? Why are we doing that? But people want to respect him and kiss his ring and do all that. But that is wrong. Did Jesus have you do that? Now, how many things, Jesus, if you're going to kiss anybody's ring, it should be Jesus' ring. Like, I love you, Jesus, right? But Jesus didn't do that with that. So anybody's going to dress up, who should dress up? Jesus. Jesus should be coming around with the cool hat and the, you know, and the big robe. And Jesus should be having the stuff. Did Jesus do any of that? Did Peter do any of that? No. So what does the church represent in the Bible? It represents us. Just ordinary people who are serving God, who are living for God. So when we talk about this today, I'm not talking about what you call religious church. I'm talking about what the Bible calls church. When Paul is writing this, do you know where Paul is at? In jail. Locked up, they won't let me out. No, no, they won't let me out. He was locked up. Paul was in jail. In jail. Where is this church at? Well, Timothy is a man living in the city of Ephesus. Where is the church at? In his house. It's in his crib, and a bunch of them are meeting in other houses with the other elders and leaders that are working with Timothy. This is literally a jailhouse letter going to people's house churches. Do you think they dress fancy there? Do you think they had religious cathedrals? Nothing wrong if you want to do some of those things, but if you do it for the wrong reason, is that going to bring you closer to God? I, I would love to have a big building filled up with more people, but is that building going to bring us closer to God? 
Of course, I don't want to dress up like mother and have you call me father. But even if I did, would that bring me closer to God? No. Would you dressing up like mother and me calling you father bring you closer to God? No, it's no different for you than it is for me. You know, we could put on purple uh, uh, robes and ornaments and decorations and gems all over you, all over me. It doesn't bring anybody closer to God. So what does bring us closer to God is this relationship we have with him. And the people he's doing this with is called the church. So that's what we want to talk about for this whole month. And I'm going to teach a couple principles here that I believe will affect and influence your entire life. That is not just me like trying to be like, oh, grandiose. Like, I'm being serious. You get this, this will change your entire life. We get this as a culture, it will change our nation. It will change literally our nation. Listen to this introduction, please. How you view the church will determine how you view the kingdom of God, period. I mean, right here, from, from this period right here to this next word right here, I think I spent an hour last service explaining it. Because I don't think we understand this whole entire concept. This is the entire concept of the Bible. I don't even have enough time to go through all the scriptures, but I'll try. Because this is where it's at. Everything is is about the kingdom of God. How many heard Jesus teach us to pray that we should ask the Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know that Jesus went around teaching that everybody should repent and enter the kingdom of God? How many know he told them that the kingdom of God was now among them because he was there as the king? How many know that Jesus said... That you had to be born again if you wanted to what? Enter the kingdom of God. How many know that Paul taught us the moral code so that we would not avoid the kingdom of God? Because he said in Galatians chapter 5 that if you live sexually immoral, if you live with wrath and anger and all these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So there's all of this talk about the kingdom of God. How many of you know that every parable Jesus taught had the kingdom of God in mind? Most of them even start with this phrase. The kingdom of God is like a farmer going to plant seed. The kingdom of God is like a father who had two sons, the prodigal son. The kingdom of God is like. How many hear those things before all the parables of Jesus? The kingdom of God is like. How many know about the kingdom? It's important to the Bible, isn't it? So where is the kingdom right now? Jesus came to establish the kingdom. The Bible teaches us that the church is the representation of the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus was praying about the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven is being done through the church. Not religious cathedrals, not fancy dressed leaders, but being done through the people like you and me who believe that Christ is king and want to obey him on this earth. This is the kingdom. If I was to ask you right now, where is the kingdom? Where would you point? Most of you would notice, point to yourself because the kingdom starts inwardly. Inwardly, you enter the kingdom of God first inside of your soul. Jesus makes you a new creation. John chapter 3, no one can see that kingdom unless they're first born again. Here's the kingdom. But now if I said, where does that kingdom come forth? Where does it interact with the real world? The first and primary place you'll see in the Bible is that the kingdom of God interacts and corresponds to the church. Is that how we think about the church now? No, we think about the church kind of being like a, like a grocery store. Give me what you can give me at the best price. If I don't like what you're giving me, I'll go to the next one. We, we have become consumers instead of servants of the church. Now, I know our church has been growing lately with people who don't, um, who have come from other churches. It used to be, this was people's first church. Now, uh, it used to be 80% of people in this church, this was their first church. They were baptized here. They learned to read their Bible here. When I would talk about Sunday school stories, they would have no idea what I was talking about. They didn't know Daniel in the lion 
lion's den. They didn't know Noah's Ark, literally, because this is where they got saved. Now we're probably getting to more 60%. This is people's first church. And now we have about 40% from other churches. Hear me today. If you have come from another church and you have not seen the kingdom of God displayed there, you feel let down, you feel burned out, I am sorry that that has happened. If you have watched churches on TV and they've discouraged you, if you've watched pastors that have fallen and they've discouraged you, I'm sorry, but that's not God's kingdom. That may be a little C church messing up, closing down. That may be a little C church that teaches something false or incorrect. But the big C church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that he promised he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail, is all over the world today with hundreds of millions of believers and is growing and transforming the world. And that's what Jesus promised to build. He didn't promise to build America as a nation. He didn't promise to build your job or your career. He promised to build the church. And so how you see the church will determine how you see the kingdom of God. If you see this as you doing people a favor, if you see this as you checking off a religious box, you will miss the entire blessing of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing that just blows my mind because we talk about all the time, but we don't really believe it. One day heaven's actually coming to earth. And so if you haven't been about the kingdom here, you are going to be a janitor, if not already in hell, when the kingdom comes to earth. Can I explain to you what we call eschatology? the study of the end times. Can I explain this to you real quick? When Jesus comes back, everything is not destroyed at that time. Jesus comes back to establish a kingdom. There are 300 verses in the entire Bible talking about Jesus' first coming. We understand that time to be Christmas. Jesus born of a virgin. 300 verses. Do you know how many verses there are that talk about Jesus coming the second time, ruling, reigning as a king? 2,400. That is eight times as many scriptures in the Bible talk about Jesus coming to the earth, ruling and reigning eight times more than him coming the first time. So what is all of heaven waiting and anticipating? They are waiting and anticipating for Jesus to come back and rule and reign. This is the reason why the Jewish people didn't accept him the first time. Because they combined the 300 plus the 2400, 2700 verses and they said Jesus is only doing a small little part. They didn't understand that he would come first conquer our hearts before he would conquer the world. His first coming was to be born of a man in a virgin in a manger to die on the cross, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, so that he could save the nations, the Gentiles, as well as the Jewish people. But if you read the rest of Isaiah, I mean, I'm talking Isaiah, just as for an example, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, all first coming. But read Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah chapter 61, read Isaiah and Mount Zion, heaven coming to earth, and all the people going to worship there, and all the people paying tribute to the sons and daughters of God, God's kingdom being established, all the rules and powers of the world being subjected to him. It even talks about in Revelation that he squashes them like somebody squashes grapes in a wine press. He puts his feet on their necks. Are you listening to me? The blood, the day he comes back is as high as a horse's head for a hundred plus miles from here to Rockford. This is all the first, uh, the second coming, the first thing he does. But then the Bible says, listen, I got to go through this so fast and talk so fast, but listen, I'm trying to get the point across. Listen. When he's here, we rule and reign the kingdom of God for a thousand years. A thousand years. You guys like superhero movies? You see Thor come to earth. He's like in charge. Superman comes to earth. The Bible says we are kings and priests of this world. 
Ulysses will be like the governor of Beijing. He will have a glorified body like Jesus did. Everybody get this. Jesus raised from the dead. He could eat. He could move around. But what could he also do? He could appear in different places. Sci-fi always tries to imitate what the Bible's already said would happen. He would come and go in different places. He could walk through walls. He could, uh, he could go up and down in clouds. We will be like that. And the Bible says that if a child dies before they're 100 years old, they will still be considered, if a person dies before 100 years old, they'll still be a child in the kingdom because lifespans will be up to 1,000 years. This is the kingdom to come. Are you listening? And then judgment, then destruction, then they ever, the new earth for everlasting more, and then the lake of fire. But here's the deal. The church right now is the, the appetizer. It's the foretaste of the kingdom to come. We are showing the world what it looks like in heaven and what will be here for a thousand years and what eternity looks like. What does it look like in heaven? Multi-races and cultures worshiping Jesus. That's what the church should be here, every tribe, tongue, and language, right? Uh, the church uh, should represent the glory and the, the honor of God. That should be here. Our lives should be holy. Saints aren't just up there. Saints are down here. The Bible says that we become saints when we're born again, born sinners, born again saints. Are you guys tracking with me? So there should be literally like a mere reflection of what's going on up there going down here until he comes back and then we're like we've been waiting Jesus and we're ready to rule and reign with you because what's going to happen that day he comes back a lot of people are going to be screaming out oh no 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 what am I going to be screaming out oh yes 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 I'm telling you this right here and the Bible says a lot of people are going to die, curses upon the land, read the Bible, end of the book, Revelation, also the book of Daniel. Daniel is the most quoted book of Revelation. There's apocalyptic stuff. A lot of stuff's turning bad, but there's about a billion people left over on the earth when the kingdom of God comes. Where will, he, where will he rule and reign from? New York City, Chicago, or Jerusalem? Where is he going to be? Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, 144 miles high as it is wide. They've already talked about they can build stuff into space right now. Space is not a problem as long as it doesn't get hit by asteroids. But we will have 144-mile building up there as it is wide. It's a big box. It's a cube. Listen to me. That's why he will rule and reign from a 1,000 years. And you know what Bill Gates will be doing if he's alive? If Bill Gates is alive at that time, you know what he'll do? He'll be doing my Wi-Fi. I'll be like, Bill, come here. Do my Wi-Fi. If the kings and queens are alive at that time, they will be our janitors. Some of you don't understand this, but this is Bible. The nations will serve our God, and we will be a kingdom of priests, a rulership to the world. Now, some of you think that's scary talk. Like, Pastor, that's scary talk. Let's not talk about that. But that's the whole thing that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the kingdom. The kingdom's going to come. We're going to rule and reign. We're going to be kings and priests with him. We're going to have the world as our own. See, a lot of us right now, we've been suffering. Even around the world, they suffer. That's why I wear this bracelet, to remind me of Christian persecution. But what does it say? What, is the, what does Jesus teach us? The reward of the suffering. See, a lot of times we just like, oh, Dito, they died for Jesus. They will come back and rule and reign. Do you understand that? Their reward is great in the kingdom of God. Hence the reason why Muslims have twisted this. We came before Islam, and Islam has twisted this to take their martyrs, get all of these benefits in heaven, but their martyrs are jihad martyrs. They are fighting warrior martyrs. That is not the true martyr of the Bible. The martyr of Scripture, of the holy uh, Scripture, is the one who suffers innocently, the preacher of the gospel. Are you listening to me? Listen to this right here about how Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is teasing us with rewards or bribing us, but he's not. He's simply telling us the truth. Look at here. Blessed are those who, are, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the what? 
The kingdom of heaven. Is, is he shucking and jiving there? As a southern term of, is he messing with you? He ain't messing with you. He's saying, listen, they kill you now for your faith. They mess with you now. When you come back, you're their king. You are their ruler. You're coming back in the kingdom. What do we name our children's church back there? What do we just call it? Children's church for kids? What do we call it? King's kids. They are king's kids. You are king's kids. You are princes and rulers over God's kingdom when he comes back. Does everybody get that? Do you know that the Bible says that the first 12 disciples, minus Judas the traitor, probably replaced with Paul, are the names of the foundational stones of that new Jerusalem? You will be paying honor to the disciples every time you come. Somebody says right now, I'm not into this Jesus stuff. Jesus is going to put his foot on your head and squash you like a grape. You will be into it at that point. You say, all you Christians are crazy, man. I'm about the streets. I'm about making money. All that money you make, I will be living in your house and you will be sweeping the floor. You don't understand the kingdom of God. It sounds almost like God is bribing us, but he's not doing it like I said, this way of jihadi warrior fight. No, he's saying, you guys, you guys, look at this, verse 11. Blessed are those when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward where? In heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets before you. And heaven comes to earth. We've had enough of hell on earth. We need heaven on earth. Can I get an amen? This is what it looks like. Let me show you in another place. Psalm chapter 2. This is not probably a verse you want to put on your refrigerator, but it's one I get excited about because I love it when, when God like handles business and kicks butt because we're a kick butt generation. We love it when things get their butts kicked, but we need to see the devil's butt kicked. Amen? Look at this, Psalm chapter 2. Tell me if you're not living in this time. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains, throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. laughs. Oh, my gosh, you guys think you're going to get away with this. And the Lord scoffs at them. Like, like what? Try a little harder, guys. Like he mocks them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. What does he say? I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He has said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Incarnation of Jesus in the flesh, becoming the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God became man. Think about that. And he says, ask me, and I will make the, the nations your inheritance. When did Jesus ask the father to make the nations his inheritance? He did that in John chapter 17. I don't have time to read it, but how do we know his prayer was answered? Because he says right here, after he ascends, get ready to ascend to heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of how many nations? All the nations. His prayer was answered. He was raised from the dead. All nations now belong to Jesus. And I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. What will you do with them, Jesus? You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. I almost just wish I had an expensive pottery up here and just start breaking it in pieces and go, that's what's going to happen to everything valuable we have on this earth that doesn't get given to Jesus. It will be broken in pieces. Now, what, I just love Jesus. This is boss Jesus. Some of y'all just like Dito Jesus, Christmas Jesus. This is boss Jesus. This is Jesus coming in with a limp. Okay, this is the Jesus of the. This is the Jesus that the Godfather was afraid of. Are you listening to me? Therefore, you kings, kings. Hey, y'all, listen up here. King of Babylon, King of Persia. You know, Xerxes, like if you watch the 300, he's like, hey, you, over there, kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Hey, you know, Bill Gates, you better, you better listen up here. 
Hey, you, you see this Mayor Rahm Emanuel? You see this guy? Listen, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm a little bit scared. I'm so happy Jesus coming to earth, but I'm a little bit nervous. Okay, kiss his son. See, here we go. Don't kiss the Pope. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead you to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are those who take refuge in him. Isn't that amazing? When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about it coming to earth. The kingdom, the King Jesus coming to rule and reign. Who is he doing that with? Is he doing it with all the rich people? Is he doing it with all the best dressed people? Is he doing it with those that had VIP seating yesterday at the Metro or the Vic or whatever is the new club right now? Is he doing it with them? No, he's doing it with the church. The church. He's doing it with us. And so if you're not in this, you're on the out. So don't feel sorry for me starting a great church like this in a storefront when you see some of my friends making money. No, no, no. Feel sorry for them because without Christ, they're going to lose it all. Not only is hell a reality, but also in the kingdom to come. There is a kingdom to come. So God is speaking to us right now, and he's saying, hey, guys, take serious my church. Take serious what you do here. And i got a lot of scriptures to show you about that because it is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The kingdom of God is seen in and through the church. Have we not proven this all throughout history? Now, I do not have time to get into the problems that churches have done. Listen, anytime a church veers off from the truth, they are not a part of the true church, right? If I say to you that I am a pastor and I love Jesus and I start cheating on my wife and I start, you know, selling drugs, am I by definition a pastor anymore? No, I have, I have disqualified myself from that title. So when people tell me, well, the church is like this and the church is like that, no, what you're talking about are the synagogues of Satan. You're talking about fake hypocritical churches. The Bible deals with them all the time. That's where I get the term from, synagogue of Satan. That's what he called them back then. He's like, they claim to be cool with me. They're not. They're lukewarm. They make me puke. Not the real deal. Can I get an amen? And once again, we're not talking about Metro Praise International, like one little place today. We're talking about the big C church all over the world, whoever does this thing right. The church is what Jesus is building to bring forth the kingdom of God. So we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And who is he using to do that? When two or three are gathered together in his name, where is he at? With them. He's with the church. Who did he give the word of God to? The church. Who is he giving his miracle signs and wonders to? The church. Who is he sending out to do all of these great works of charity? The church. When was the last time you saw the Muslim homeless shelter? Hello? There's enough Muslims in Chicago to have a homeless shelter. Where is it? When was the last time you saw the last Buddhist homeless shelter? The last Hindu homeless shelter? When was the last time you saw any of them? And it's the same way around the world. Number one doers of charity, Christians. Number one doers of orphanages and feeding the homeless, Christians. Are you all listening to me? What nation is everybody running to? Is everybody trying to get into China right now? Is everybody trying to sneak over China's borders? As a matter of fact, everybody's like, China, leave us alone. Tibet's like, leave us alone. We don't want to be China. Hong Kong is like, leave us alone, mainland China. Is everybody trying to rush to Mexico? We just love Mexico. Viva la Mexico. Is everybody running there? Is everybody running to these, to these, these European states? They get a little bit here and there. But let me just tell you, European countries would be nothing without America. If it wasn't for us, Russia would have taken them over a long time time ago and Hitler would have owned all their land. Hello somebody. Where is everybody coming to? America. What was it founded upon? These principles. 
We've already proven it. Where did science come from? The revolution, the scientific revolution, Kepler, Bacon, uh, Francis Bacon, uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Ask anybody in the history of science, where did these things come from? Did they come from the Hindu population? Did they come from the Muslim population, the pagan Roman population? It came from Christians. Did it come when the Roman Catholic Church was in charge? No, it took these men like Galileo going, you guys are crazy. Stop telling me what my science is really telling me and let me go. And the Reformation with the Renaissance brought forth the scientific revolution. Reformation, Renaissance, scientific revolution. Was it just a coincidence it happened in a Christian-based society? Is it just a coincidence that you live today in the best nation still, even though despite all of our sin, in a Christian-based society? Christian-based, Christian-based. I wish I had time to talk more about this, but I don't. When you believe, everybody say, when I believe, it's up to you whether you believe it or not. Depends where you want your face on Judgment Day. Do you want it under the boot of Jesus or worshiping Jesus? Where do you want it? I'm just being real with you. No, I can't force you. Somebody's like, I don't want to do this. Okay, you can have them stomp on you then. Do you want to be stomped on? I'm just being honest. I don't want to be stomped on. If he is who he said he is, can he stomp on some folks? I mean, the guy controlled weather. He walked on the water. When they tried to get, stop him from being crucified, what did he say? I can send down a le legion of angels to destroy the place. How many think he was telling the truth? Jesus can really do some stuff around here. Anybody here at Noah in the ark? How many got spared from the world that got judged that time? Eight people. Noah, his wife, three kids, their, their wives. Eight people. God's coming back again. He's going to judge us. Remember, 2,400 scriptures talking about his second return. Eight times as much as his first return. As, much as, he, as, as surely as he came the first time, everybody's coming the second time. But when you believe this, when you believe this here, that the church is the manifestation of God's kingdom, that this is what God is about right now, and you seek to build it on earth, you will reap the rewards of a blessed life and in the age to come. And I want to talk about that. But before we do, I just want to show you this cute little picture, just something that I was trying to use my imagination with. Imagine the landscape of this beautiful picture being the kingdom of God. Where is it coming? It's coming in the church. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Where is that coming? Through the church. A lot of us want to say our family comes first, this comes first, but God's kingdom must come first. How can I be a father unless I know the word that teaches me how to be a father? How can I truly be a great father unless other good fathers train me through the word, discipleship and training? How can I know God unless I've talked to others who know God, hear their stories? Maybe there's a demon appearing as God telling me all kinds of crazy stuff, and so unless I've learned from others, I could be deceived by that. Hello, somebody. An angel can show up and deceive you. That's what's happened before. Why did Muhammad get deceived into believing what he believed? Now a billion people follow a, follow a false prophet because he didn't know the God of the Bible from the church. He didn't learn it from the church. How did the, how did the Hindu faith go off on its tangents and do all of those things? Because it didn't believe what the church was saying. And the church, the word church means the gathering of God's people. It was there in the Old Testament with the Israelites, and it's here today with the Christians. And when Israelites come to Christianity, they're given preeminence because God has always chosen the Israelites to be the first. Can I get an amen on that? Jerusalem belongs to Israel. So tell Obama that and tell every other person that. Israel belongs to Jerusalem, uh, rather, to the Jewish people. Now listen to this. Somebody say, preach it. Because I'm still going through the introduction and I'm moving as fast as I can. And I got so long to go. And then now you understand why I preached an hour and 40, mi 40 minutes last time. Okay, I'm still going real quick. Notice how Paul talks about the kingdom of God and the church being together. Just tell me what you hear from these verses. Am I making it up? Have I taken it too far? Have I taken these scriptures out of context? You listen to them and tell me what you think. Matter of fact, next month, Lord willing, we'll maybe do the, uh, 
the, the sermon series on the book of Ephesians called In Him. And at the end of this month, we're going to do all the recap on all the great things that we did in 2016. So make sure you hang on for that. We'll give you all your given reports. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we go. Ephesians 1.18. I pray, watch this. What is Paul praying here? I pray that you get blessed, you get a raise that you get a good parking spot today when you go to the Old Navy to enjoy your day off. Now, what did Paul pray for? He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, in order that you may know the hope to what he has called you. What is our hope? That we just stay up in heaven as disembodied spirits floating around like Casper the ghost? No, our hope is that the kingdom's coming and we're ruling and reigning with Christ. He's our Messiah, the conquering king. Psalm chapter 2, kings are going to be afraid of him. Remember all that? The tributes paid to him. Are you guys with me? We're hoping in that. How am I hoping that? If you're not hoping that, I pray that your eyes are open. I, ha- I pray that you stop just seeing what's going on in Silicon Valley. I pray that you stop just seeing what's going on in Washington or what's going on downtown. I pray that your eyes are open so you can see what God has for you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So what are we praying for? Two things, that you will know the hope of the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and you'll know his great power. Sounds like kingdom talk to me. The power, that power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Now watch this, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to, is there an age to come? Does anybody ever watch The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings? Anybody remember the different ages that they go through? In the Bible, it talks about different ages. This is one age, the age of man and fallen angels. This is where now we choose who we are going to side with. In the age to come, God is ruling upon the earth from New Jerusalem. He is seated, Jesus seated next to his Father, the Holy Spirit flowing like a river from his throne. And those of us who have sided with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, rule and reign with him. God placed everything under his feet, under his feet, appointed him head over everything for the church. For the what? For the church. Appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the kingdom of God is about Jesus going through his church and ruling and reigning over the people in the age to come. Let's go on. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities and heavenly realms. What does this mean? Jesus died on the cross, and all the demons are to know, your time is up, Jack. The king is coming back. He is coming back. You better know, you're done, fallen angels. All of this is belonging to Jesus, starting with these heavenly realms down to this earth, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is just one subject, I could just detour again right now for an hour and talk so much faster than I've ever talked before, like two times the speed. Anybody ever listen to podcasts or YouTube and you hit like 1.5 speed, two speed, and there's like one, like three speed, it's like, you can barely understand. Like right now, I wish I could go into two speed at least. Eternal purpose. The eternal purpose. What was the whole thing about from the very beginning? The kingdom of God upon the earth, perfect earth, perfect man and woman living together with God. That's what it was. And what did we have dominion over? We had dominion over the animals. We had dominion over the angels. But what happened? We fell. 
We made a mistake. We messed it all up. We became under the dominion of fallen angels. We became under the dominion of each other, ruling each other wrongly and taking advantage of each other, enslaving each other, abusing each other. And now the Bible says he is going to come back and reestablish that. And he will show all those who sided with the devil who's really in charge. So at the beginning of the reign of the kingdom, where is the devil? He is tied up in a pit right outside of New Jerusalem. Now, I know some of this for us is hard to imagine, but let the sci-fi of this world just blow your mind. If sci-fi can make believe it, can it be true at least in the sense where it's not illogical? It's not illogical, is it? It's just something beyond what we've seen. Is it is it logical that the Bible says that God can actually take the fallen angel, tie him up, throw him in a pit, and have you look at him for a thousand years? Yes. Can the Bible, is the Bible logical? I mean, I mean does, does this go against any of the wisdom of the Bible, even of our own logic, that God can rule and reign for a thousand years over the people who said that he wasn't going to be Lord and he shows them for a thousand years, I'm boss? And can God bless you with supernatural power to do what he did when he walked on the earth so you can control the weather and you can have power and authority? How many believe you can do that? There's nothing illogical about that. Like I've said before, it's not like God's creating a square circle in eternity. Square circles are illogical. No matter who you are, God is the God of truth. Everything from him is truth. He's not illogical. You can't have a married bachelor. Are you listening to me? And so the idea is the eternal purpose is not illogical. It just blows our mind. It just blows our mind. That one day, everything you see here will be set right. And people will be the witness of it. For a thousand years. And now what happens after that? We can only use our imagination because the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard. What waits for us after that? The Bible pretty much ends with the new earth being created, with the new heavens. Now there's no more day or night. Jesus is the light. Everything is there. It's put in place again, the new Jerusalem. And it's in a different world. We're only now, a, a new created earth rather, we're only the righteous rule and reign. So there's no more ruling over the wicked. There's none of that. And we can call that the eternal kingdom. But this part right here that we're talking about is the kingdom of God, a part of God's purpose, ruling and reigning for a time so that he can accomplish what he started with Jesus Christ. Now let's look right here. You can see it tied together. Ephesians, same author, same book. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Er, this is where I stop and go. If I can imagine Thor doing crazy stuff in a superhero movie, is God going to be greater than Thor when he comes down and rules and reigns? Yes. So you can imagine those things. He can go beyond your imagination. Still logical. More than we ask or imagine. Now watch this. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be what? To him be glory. Everybody say glory. Thank you. To him be glory in the where? In the church and in what? Christ Jesus throughout how many generations? All generations forever and ever. So let's just take a deep breath. Okay. Let's just bring this together right now because that was just the introduction. So I'm, I'm dead serious. I haven't even got to the message. This is just the beginning right here. This, the message starts right there. Then we go into the definitions, and I go into the foundations, and I got to do about all of this stuff right here, okay? So I look at your name and say, that was just the introduction. I got through that as fast as I could. Okay, now watch. Here we go. Watch, watch, watch this. You got to understand uh, or choose whether or not you believe this because I can understand it by a little bit, and I've been studying it for a while, but I choose to believe it. So just back up and see the whole thing in, in, in the perspective right now of what we're talking about. What, what are we saying here? We're saying the God who created the universe, formed us in the Garden of Eden, is coming with a kingdom. In between the time of our fall and the kingdom is redemption through Jesus and the age of the church establishing it until he comes and then fully establishes it. 
So you are in the shadow of death right now. In Psalm 23, you are there. You are in the place of death. It's scary. The world doesn't look right. Evil seems to be getting the upper hand. You are in that shadow. We call this the shadow lands. You are in a place where oftentimes hell on earth seems more real than heaven on earth. And the question is whether or not you will believe him, that he is with you, and that his rod and staff, they will comfort you. Your brothers and sisters around the world are suffering and dying. Their lives are being taken. Babies are being aborted in abortion clinics because the devil wants to stop this generation becoming an army against him, an army of righteous warriors, not with physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. You are living in the shadowlands when the greatest nations of our time are, are plotting against God, Russia, China, these great nations plotting against our God, his ways, even though there's still, there's a hundred million Christians, if not more in China, they are still persecuted, they're being arrested, even though India has tons, maybe 10, 20 million, 30 million Christians, they're still being persecuted. Do you understand? These nations are raging against God in the age of the church. And it's up for us to believe that God is on the move and that the kingdom is coming through the church. We are the seedbeds of revolution. We are the taste, the appetizer, as I said before, of that kingdom coming. Nations that are gathered together, worshiping God, learning his word, and living it out. We are the foretaste of that. And let me just say this so you don't think that I'm doing this because I'm a pastor and I get something great up there. All of us will be judged on the day of our ranking that we get. Paul said it. We will be tested by fire. We will all be judged according to our faithfulness to the call we've been given. So let's say... Go on a grading scale. Let's say I'm judged. The fire puts to test all of my work as a pastor as I was here building the kingdom of God by God's grace. Let's say 35% of my stuff builds up because I did it sometimes because I was selfish and I want everybody to like me on Facebook and I was afraid to tell the truth. So 35% of my stuff, maybe that's even the biggest stuff. Maybe that's when we're filling up stadiums and I get prideful, whatever. So I pass with a 75%. God then will give me my rank according to that. But let's say... Daryl in the back, he's been faithful. He serves his, his, his family. He serves God, you know, as, as he blesses his family and he works hard. And let's say only 15% of his life gets burned up in the judgment time. He'll have an 85%. His rank will be higher than mine. Now I know it's like, man, it's so far off. Why are we even thinking about rank? Because the whole Bible is based on a reward system after salvation. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. You're saved by grace through faith. But after salvation, everything is about rewards. That is, there is a truth to that and Paul was talking about it I know my reward is waiting for me I've been faithful and you need to think beyond these few years of life here because if all you do listen to Jesus Jesus how many think we should listen to Jesus right now good to bring him in he said if all you do is store up treasures on this earth you store up treasures here moth and rust will decay them but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven right that's where he said your treasures need to be and how do you get treasures up there through your good works, through your obedience, through building the kingdom of God. How many believe that? Then on that day, you're rewarded. So remember, it's not just me. It's not Billy Graham. It's not, dude, it's you. It's everybody getting rewarded based on their faithfulness. Be faithful wherever God has put you, and he'll make you fruitful. Amen. 
Now, that was just the introduction. Let me give you some terms here as quickly as I can. When we're talking about the church, this whole idea of church, we're talking about born-again disciples of Christ around the world that love and obey Jesus. This is where we, we begin to notice the difference between the Roman Catholic Church. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church. There's so many errors with that, but this is where they get it from right here. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it or the gates of hell. This is where they get the idea that Peter is the foundation. He will be the pope and build the church. Does it say he'll be the pope? No. As a matter of fact, it's teaching Peter that Peter was the one giving the right answer to who Jesus was because he asked him, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Peter gets the blessing of being a foundation of the church. But Peter himself, who wrote the book of 1 Peter, what does he teach is the privilege of every believer as you come to him, the living stone. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, rejected by humans but chosen by God, precious to him. You also, you see the word there, you also like living what? Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So does Peter say, I'm the only rock, I'm the Pope, I'm in charge, and everybody after me, they're the Pope, and they're going to be pimping Popes. Is that what he said? No. He said, God said, I'm a rock, and so are you. You're living stones with me. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved becomes built up into the spiritual house, the church, God's household, which is to Together, a holy priesthood. Each one of us are a priest before God, offering up our spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So how do you get to be a part of that church? By being born again made a disciple, just like Peter. He was the first among many. And he told us that. He never called himself anything other than that. Now, the church can be thought of universally and locally. When we use the word universal, this is where we get the word Catholic. So when you look back into church history, a lot of the church fathers used the word Catholic. But Roman Catholics stole that term from true Christians. So don't let them do that. We love them, but they're wrong this way. We are the universal Catholic church. I am in the Catholic church. Not the one from Rome. Not the one with the Pope. Does everybody get the difference? But Catholic in the sense of I'm in a church that is beyond the borders of this room. The universal Catholic church is the church that appears all throughout the ages. So when you look at uh, different things in, in history where they talk about, like, say, um, the Apostles' Creed, you know, we, we have our own creed here that we say just something that we made that people can say, you know, I believe in this, and, and you know, I believe in God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, the Apostles' Creed is probably the oldest creed outside of the Bible, and you can read it when you have time. But listen to what it says here. People a lot of times get the word Catholic confused, but these men were not Catholics. They were Christians just like us. And it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, look here. You see there's an asterisk. Even the writer of this wanted you to know what that asterisk means. That is the true Christian church of all times and places. That is what it means. So don't let uh, people take away our history. The Roman Catholic Church as we know it today with all the bells and smells and different things did not come about to around 600, around the 7th century. And I can show you that at another time. I actually wrote a whole book on this. Does anybody know I wrote a book on church history? It's a little book that I keep online, Disciples of the first disciples. I'm going to be publishing it now um, as well, but the disciples of the first disciples. Disciples of the first disciples. There we go. 
And I believe it's .com if you want to take a look at it. And let me just put here Joe Wyrostek. I just got to pause here and show you this because I want you to see the timeline. Because when people think um, I just make up stuff about things, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. This is a 16-chapter book that I wrote here. And uh, let me just show you the timeline here, creeds and councils. Let me show you the history. I want to show you the history of the Catholic Church. How the church became dark. You know, you've heard of the dark ages. That was led by a false church. Now, you see here, remember I said 600s? It's around the time the Catholic Church started. 575 A.D. is when we first see that monks are taking over the church. This shouldn't used to be the way. You know, he didn't say to his disciples, hey, guys, go run into a cave and go do something over there. No, we were, going, we were called to change the world. And right around that time is in 590 when the same guy who starts the monk movement who becomes the first real pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And then you start to see here that them and Islam begin to fight against each other. How many have ever heard of the Crusades? Well, first of all, a lot of that was started by Islam. But even though they're fighting with each other, that's the Roman Catholic Church and those guys fighting over power as they're getting more led into their own um, heresies. And what's, what's something is that you can see around 1000 A.D., the great East-West schism happens. The Orthodox split from the Roman Catholic Church because they're like, you guys are crazy. And the Orthodox Church does not have a pope. They all have elders, so on and so forth. And then I just show you where all of this stuff comes from, like the, uh, the burning of candles. So 320, they started candles. 375, veneration of saints, the mass. Priests began to dress different. In Italy, around 500, 593, the doctrine of purgatory, 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 purgatory was established. How many get that? Y'all get that right there? <laughs> y'all just like, y'all lost a little bit. Okay, the universal Catholic Church is what we be a part of. Let's just say it like that. And the local church is where every individual disciple gathers. What local church do you go to? That's your local church, amen. And it's connected to godly leaders. Should we have godly leaders in the church? Look at what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says. Hebrews chapter 13 says what? Have confidence in your leaders and what? Submit to their authority. So that's your responsibility. My responsibility is to keep watch over you because I have to give an account. Don't I have to give an account? When I get an account, I'll be, when I give that account, I'll be judged on how I treated you. You'll be judged on how you submitted to what I was saying. The only time you stop listening to a, to a leader in the church is when they sin or teach false doctrine. Have I sinned or taught you false doctrine? Then as long as this is your church, you submit to the leaders that are here, right? And then w when do I get to steal from you or do any of that? Never. I have a higher standard. I have to love you even when you don't love me. Think about that. Isn't that a tough job? But I love you guys. Well, let's see what it says here. Look, it says, because they keep watch over you as men, who, uh, those who must give an account. Do this, submit, and have confidence so that their work will be a what? A joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Amen. And then it says, pray for us. What a humble thing there. That's what we think about the church. And we'll be caught talking more about in the weeks to come. The pillar of truth, as we see here in this building, is a load-bearing. Um, it's, it's, it's for load-bearing either the, the roof or for floors above it. So how many here think uh, pillars are a good thing, like in our building? Would you want to remove them? What is our culture doing with the church right now? They want to remove it. I know you guys know church is separation, the, the separation of church and state. I have a whole entire other message that I preached during the time of the election on God and politics that uh, I address. Even in America, that is misused. Even in America, that's misused. Let me just give you an example of that real quick. Here's with uh, Thomas Jefferson. Let me show you Thomas Jefferson at the Jefferson Memorial doing what he do. If I can get that program open, it's getting naughty. 
naughty program. You see, man, even pastors got to slow down every now and then. Let me just show you how to find anything on our website. Just go God and politics. There we go. And I'm going to open this up because I want you to see this quote. I wish I could get into American history. We had our mistakes. Slave traders went to hell. Oppressors went to hell. No doubt about that. The Bible says they get judged. Here's the whole message on it right here. But this is the thing I want you to understand. Our founders knew this. They understood this. The idea of separation of church and state was actually our idea. It was the Christian's idea because we had left state-run religion in England because they had the Church of England. We left that to get our freedom. But just listen to Thomas Jefferson here, just to tie this into America real quick. God who gave us life gave us what? Liberty. He's the one that gave us, gave us the freedom. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Do you understand how this applies to what I'm saying? If you remove the pillars, are you secure? If you move the, the foundation, are you secure? What did Thomas Jefferson say? If you remove God out of these liberties, can you be secure? If we say now we're going to redefine what marriage is, we're going to redefine what life is in the womb, we're going to do whatever we do in entertainment, and God just got to get along with it, can we expect that that's going to go well for us? Can we remove pillars and foundations and things go well? No. Indeed. Look at what he said. This is on the panel three of the Jefferson Memorial. He said this. This is in Washington, D.C. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. We can say whatever we want about Thomas Jefferson. I don't know if he went to heaven or hell. I know he did some things that were wrong, but listen right here. He understood this thing at least. I know God is just, and he's going to judge us one day. And I tremble at that, and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So let me ask you right now. Do you think right now America is building its foundation upon the church and the truth that God is revealing to the church? Or do you think America is probably in trouble right now? Come on, be honest. Speak up. What do you think? Is America good, or is America possibly in trouble? It probably is. And what is that reason? We've removed the pillars. And what did Jesus say the pillars or uh, the Paul, the apostles say those pillars were? The pillar is the church of the living God. The pillars come from what God does in the church. And this is where I have to go quickly. Please just be patient with me on New Year's because this is very important to your life and to ours. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is a wise man who built his house on the what? The rock, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everybody check this out. I wish I could tell you right now. 2017 is going to be the best year of your life. Clap your neighbor high five and say, it's going to be awesome. And, or I could say it in another way. 2017, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be your year. You're going to do great things. God's going to be with you. Smile. Everything's all right. Now, I do love that God makes our life happy and all of that. But listen to me. I can't promise you that because some of you are going to have storms come this year. Some of you may have to bury loved ones. Some of you may lose jobs. Some of you may have the hardest times of your life. But what does God promise you? When you build your life on his foundation, you will not fall. So is that encouraging? It is. But it doesn't promise you that you won't have a life without struggle. I do believe in prosperity. I do believe in blessing. But I do believe that we go through trials. And so if you want to build your family right, build it in church on God's word. You want to build your career right, build it in church on God's word. 
the mayor should sit right here. Right next to him should be the Cubs players, Baez. Right next to him should be Trump and Trump Tower and all the employees. The, the greatest workers, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, our greatest politicians, should all be in church today just like you. Are, are, you, are they any better than you? No, they're humans, right? They need to be here. All of us need to be here. And not just hearing Joe preach, but hearing others preach and the word of God being preached and then live our lives accordingly. You want to bless family in 2017? Build it in church on the Word of God. Does everybody see the application there? Because everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Those of you who think money this year will make you happy have not had enough money in 2016 yet. See, if you think money will make you happy in 2017, you haven't had enough of it yet. Because money will fail you. You have your hope in the wrong place. Your crash will be great. If you think, and I know we got a lot of ambitious people here, and ambition is good when we do it for the glory of God. And I'm going to explain that at the end. It's not going to be all sad. But listen, if you think graduating college this year, getting married this year, having a baby this year, uh, moving into a new house this year is going to make your life great, you have never had those things. Because I've had babies, I've had money, I've had houses, I've had cars, and I've still seen them crash around me. I've still seen it. Not bring me joy. See, some of you, I wish I could have you sit down with Robin Williams, that amazing comedian, that highly talented person. And I wish you could have talked to him a week before he committed suicide because I think some of you would have got a reality check. I could imagine just, you know, you saying to him whatever you think would make him happy, right? Because you don't have to believe me. I'm just a preacher. What do I know, right? So you're going to now talk to the, to the depressed. You're going to now talk to the suicidal. And I could just imagine you coming to Robin Williams and going, come on, Robin, shake out of it. Come on. Let's go take a vacation in the Bahamas. And I can just imagine him saying to you, I've already been there. Nothing there for me. Well, come on, man. Let's make another hit movie. Let's become famous. Let's have everybody know your name. I've already done it. Everybody knows my name. Come on, let's, let's get married, Robin. Let's get married. Let's, let's get you more kids. Been married. Kids. What are you going to say to that man? The only thing you could say to him is, Robin, you were made for glory. And this is not... It's going to ever satisfy you. Look deep within your heart. There's something that you cannot fill with what you've been feeding it. You see, when you look at the world, you'll be depressed. You look inside, you'll be distressed. You look at Jesus, your soul will be at rest. That was Corey Tim Boone. A woman who suffered under the Nazi regime, holding, hiding Jews underneath her porch, uh, underneath her floor in her, her daddy's house. And her family died in the Holocaust because they captured them as well as traitors. And she ended up becoming a great missionary. And she said that so simply, and I hope that everybody gets that for 2017. You look for happiness anywhere out there. You will be depressed. It will not happen. You look for happiness inside yourself. You try to do it on your own. You will be distressed. Your soul will only be at rest when it's with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? What are false foundations that people put their hope in right now? The biggest one is the family foundation. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I'm so busy with my family. I can't come to church. I know you understand because family's from God. Hold on. Hold on. You're going to put your family before God. I don't understand. I don't understand that. 
I certainly don't because I'm going to tell you right now, I've got five kids, I've got a busy life, and the number one place I want to bring them as often as I can is to church because it is the pillar and the foundation of truth. It is the household of God. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. Are you listening? And so what will happen if you make family your foundation? Yes, you will have a great crash. What will be some symptoms? You'll be misguided by your need for provision to provide. And I've watched people fall into the trap. It happens so quick. Well, I need to provide more so they can have more, to provide more, to have more, to provide more, to have more. And you will be misguided and your kids will only have things and not you. You will be misguided. You will be deceived by your value. You will put your value in what you do as opposed to who you are. You will forget that you are a child of God, and that is what he made you to be, because you can lose your children, and then you will lose your mind if that's what your value is in. I watched my mother lose her daughter, and she was still a woman of God at peace in her soul, because she knew before she was a mother, she was a daughter of a king. And I'm not saying this upon anybody that, that I wish that for you. I'm just saying that I hope you can see that value comes from who God says you are, not what you do down here for 80 years. And you will be disappointed in your relationships because you will have made your family a God unto you. And they will never be enough to satisfy your soul. You will manipulate and create confusion in your relationships because you're not satisfied alone. You need them to satisfy you. And God says, I will satisfy you alone. And then you will be successful with them. It's the codependent wife, the codependent husband, the codependent children. All of that will, will create in you an emptiness in your soul. And here, don't take it from my words. Look at Jesus. You want a great family? Do what Jesus said. How many think Jesus loved family? Nobody. How many think Jesus loved family? 1426. Is he not our creator? Does he love your family? But look what Jesus said, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It seems like Jesus is saying that the man that's suicidal and the one who comes to Christ share something in common. This may scare you and blow your mind, but there's some truth here. What is it? The suicidal man and the disciple have one thing in common. My satisfaction is not in this world. One just says it's in the world to come and a God that created the world. The other one says, there is no God. There is no other hope. This is it. You cannot become a Christian until you deny yourself and deny all your sources of joy and pleasure until you find them and find them in God. Because the other, uh, uh, the other option is these people become your idols. And I used this example before with, with, um, with, with uh, Daryl. Imagine this right now. We, we take Daryl, this would be fun, and we hang him from a bridge, okay? So we take Daryl and we say, Daryl, okay, come on over here. Hang on to this thing. So he's hanging on a pole, uh, you know, off a bridge. And he's hanging on there. And then we say, for laughs and giggles, let's have your wife come on and hold your hand. So he's holding up here. His wife's down here. How many know it's not going to last very long, right? And then for even more laughs and giggles, we say, all three of your daughters, make the chain down, everybody holding their hands. What do you think is going to happen? Let's just make it even a little bit more sadistic but more realer to this example. Let's chain them all together so they all fall or all hold on together. How long do you think you'll hold on to all of them? Not very long. He perishes along with his family. But this is what God is saying. You can't save your family. You can't even save yourself. You clip in. You clip in. And then you tell your wife, honey, you clip in and you'll be saved. Children, you clip in and you'll be saved. That's how we save our family. That's how I get to be with them for all of eternity. That's what I'm teaching them. Daddy needs Jesus too. I can't do that for you. I'm clipped in, but I can show you the Jesus that loves you just as much as he loves me. I'll show you the grace that will clip you in. Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen to that? 
Here's another quick found, false foundation people will try to build this year, the happiness foundation. I just want to be happy. Everybody be happy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I want to get a new car this year. Happy, happy. I want to be so happy. Well, what's going to happen if you try to make your own personal happiness your foundation? You will be frustrated in pain. This year, 2017 happens, you find out you have cancer, it will put a punch right to your gut. You'll be laying in the hospital getting chemo wondering, what just happened? Because it must not be about happiness. Happiness does, the world doesn't care about your plan of happiness. Whatever is destined to happen in your body will happen. I have one of my friends right now who's going through chemo. Come on, somebody. They don't even know. She lost her brother last year to cancer. Good people die horribly in this world, painfully, horribly. You will experience pain. And if happiness was your reason for living, what are you going to do in pain? How about you'll get absorbed in your idolatry? Happiness will be the idol you bow down to. Well, I just bow down to the idol of happiness, and it tells me to stop going to Metro Praise because they have such long services, and I'm all about being happy. I love you, my idol of happiness. Tell me what job to have so I can be happy. Tell me what to do with my spare time so I can be happy. Tell me who to date because it's all about me being happy, and then we'll get divorced in two years because they didn't make me happy, and I'll marry somebody else. I love you, you idol of happiness. You will bow down to the idol of happiness, and it will make you miserable, and then what will happen is you'll be kept from true joy. You will not have true joy because only the joy of the Lord is found in the presence of the Lord. And you may be able to fake it for a while, but you'll see in the end what it really is. You've seen those commercials where they have those people in those really smelly rooms and the whole room's messed up. They close their eyes, you know, blindfold, put some fruit breeze in there, and then they take their eyes off and they're like, you know, take the, the, you know, the blindfold off and they're like, oh my gosh, that's what you'll wake up to in eternity. You'll, even if you squeak by with a little bit of make-believe happiness, you'll find out in the end it was all hell. It was all a, a, a deception of the devil. The Bible says a nation that forgets God will be turned to hell. You will find yourself knee-deep in the dung of this world, and none of it will save you. And then lastly, the false religion foundation. I don't have time to get into this, but my friend, if God be true, every man's a liar. Anyone that says something other than what God has said is a liar. That's the bottom line. Look at Revelation 21, verse 7. It's not my words. It's his words. Everybody's got to believe a truth somewhere later. Uh, You've got to put your trust in something. I'm putting my trust in the man who walked the earth and was raised from the dead. I believe this book. I believe what it says. You can test it for yourself. I've already done all of that and found out that it's true. It says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God. They will be my children. Only this way. No other way. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Liar, liar. You don't want that to happen to you, do you? Amen. I don't want my pants on fire. How many want their pants on fire? I don't. Here's the message in closing now, third closing. Jesus taught this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So let me just have that fireside chat as Rachel comes quickly, please. Here it is. Check this out. Everybody look up at me, please. Hour and 20 minutes. I did my best. I spoke as fast as I could. You guys know I don't normally go this long, and I talked really super fast. I told you from the very beginning, how do you do this? Like, how do I share with you something for the new year that is literally the answer to everything in your life? How do I express that to you and not seem like a know-it-all? How do I tell you about these things and you don't think I'm being judgmental and mean? I mean, this is it. We either believe this here or we don't. I believe that many of you take my word at it because you're starting to grow in your faith. But I want to challenge you this year to be convinced of it. 
And then those of you who are convinced of it, like I had a lot of our elders and their families stand up at the end of service last uh, service, and we'll do that a little bit here, is that we have to keep growing in this. We, we can't just look at our life and just look at our four and no more. It's kind of like you see those people in those little infocommercials on, on Facebook. They're like, I quit my job, and now I travel around all the time. They're like on a surfboard. You see, I can't do that. See, I can't do it. See, some of you, I just want to be very honest with you as a pastor. Some of you are stuck in life where you're at, and you don't like it. You don't like the job you work. I'm not. I have one of the greatest opportunities in life. I'm a pastor, and there's churches all over the world. Thank you. And there's churches all over the world. So if I wanted to live in Hawaii right now, I easily could live in Hawaii. If I wanted to make a quarter million dollars a year, I easily could do it. Easily. I've already shown people how I could do it. This takes me a little while. I don't want to do it right now. But that's right now, I'm just being honest with you, what my value is at. I just heard another pastor say that he was offered a quarter mil, couldn't do it. Some of the jobs that I would even turn down would start at 100, 125 a year. And I could do it anywhere I want. Just name a place you would want to live. You want to live in Hawaii? I could go live in Hawaii. You want to go live in the Bahamas? I have friends that are pastors in the Bahamas. I could go start a church there. But listen to me. I'm not motivated by that. Okay? I'm not motivated by that. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite parts of my favorite hymn is, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only are the king of my heart. High king of heaven, my treasure thou art. I've worked purposefully in the west side, south side, spent four and a half years pastoring in New Orleans, seven years working there all together. God has called me to the broken and the hurting. That's why I'm here. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're born and raised in Chicago. You like it cold like this or whatever we go through in our, our seasons. I actually like warm weather, by the way. It's, it's hard for me because I actually was Midwestern, lived in Florida, I mean, lived in New Orleans for seven years and came back, and I had forgotten. And I was like, dear God, why is the sun going down at four and why is it so cold right now? My wife will tell you, like, I had to find joy in Jesus. But here's my thing. I'm not about that, right? So I've determined my career as a pastor is not about money. It's not about location. It's about the kingdom. That's what I have determined. That's the sacrifices I've made. What are you going to make? Some of your jobs this year are going to test you. They're going to say, well, you come in on Sunday, you'll make more. And you're going to have to make your sacrifice. Some people are going to try to come into your life with relationships. And they're going to say, seek me first. Put me first. And you're going to have to decide who is first because there can only be one. And that's what it's going to look like day after day. But God does promise us that he will bless us. So what do I get as my reward for not having to move to, say, San Francisco, a city that I love and have visited often? What do I get as a reward here in Chicago? You here and the lives that I'm changing here and the family that I'm raising here and the satisfaction of the reward of heaven that God says you were faithful to do what I said. Because remember, if I leave and I do it for me, it all gets burned up. So though I get 50 years at uh, Beachside Assembly, Beachside Praise, everybody come down to Beachside Praise, we're awesome. 
And you guys know I would be awesome at beachside praise. Like my hair would be all long. I'd be in flip-flops. My dad already, my, my dad moved to Florida. That's why we're going there because my dad moved there. My dad was born and raised south side of Chicago, lived in Indiana. He's like, I am done with the south. He has bought a nice home. He lives in one of those Dell Webb communities. You guys know what I'm talking about. But listen to me. I would lose all my reward. For eternity, even though, I mean, it sounds funny, but seriously, for eternity, I would be sweeping up the floor of people in this church, and they would say, Joe, if you only would have stayed in Chicago, you would have great reward in the kingdom to come. But oh, I just had to have Florida. I just had to have California. It's like, no, I'm putting God's kingdom first. And I know it sounds cheesy, but let's even get a little bit more real. Let's get a little bit more real. So one of my friends last year, friend of a friend really, his daughter and, and wife wanted to take a trip, and they went down to Mexico, and they just went to one of those resorts. On the tour bus, it crashed. She died, and the daughter died. What do you do then? You can't, you can't say that's happy time. I mean, you find joy in the midst of pain, but, what, you know, how do you get through that? He found his hope in Jesus. See, the problems of life are not going to go away, and we're not going to get through them with a shallow faith. If we seek first the kingdom, we have a method. We have a way to receive all that we need. And so I want to be faithful, and I want you to be faithful. And the way we start with that is by coming to church. If he would have said it was another way, would I not preach it to you? Come on, guys. I would be doing it another way. It's just there's something that he does here when we make time out. It's sacrificial. It, it, it costs something. It, it, it makes us think about our life. We sit down and think. Some of you may say, well, Pastor, you're doing all the talking. I wish my wife was here. Will you get my wife and kids for me, Augustine, please? You guys have no idea. You know how much preaching, too, I listen during the week? I listen to probably, on average, 12 to 15 other messages every week. Every week. You can ask me. You can Just test me. Just forget about it for now. Two weeks from now, just walk up to me and be like, who did you listen to this week? And I'll name to you. I listen to this guy's sermon, this guy's sermon. And part of it is, is I got to stay in shape and I got to do two hours of cardio to stay in shape about five days a week because I hate dieting and I don't want to lift weights anymore because like my muscles hurt, like they're all sore. So I'm like, just, oh, I don't want to lift anymore. What do I have to do? So I found out if I ride my bike either at the gym or wherever, I can do it two hours. You know what I do for two hours? I listen, I listen, I listen, I listen. I'm getting fed. If I wasn't preaching today, I would be listening. And when I'm not talking, I'm listening. I'm writing. I'm studying. What do you want to do this year for the kingdom of God? How many of you have ideas for business and these different things? Look at like Hobby Lobby. Look at Chick-fil-A. Look at Forever 21, ladies. Look at In-N-Out Burger. Come on, fellas. Look at these businesses. What do they show us? You can have God and success. But watch. You can never have success, true success, without God. The Bible says he makes rich and adds no trouble to it. So let me ask you, would you want to be living a rich life with 35000 a year or be stressed out making hundred k a year? God teaches you how to do it at each step. That's why the guys that I know or have read about that have a billion dollars, they're not the ones losing their family, married 20 times, all of this crazy stuff. They're godly men and women, and they were blessed. So can you have both? Yes. But what comes first, guys? The kingdom of God. Where do we learn it? We learn it here. Where is the mayor going to learn it? If, if, if he doesn't learn it here, where is he going to learn it? You think Father Tom's going to teach the mayor about how to put the kingdom of God first? All your jobs you're going to tomorrow, 
Where's your boss going to learn it if he doesn't learn it here? And so my thing is this, in closing, is that the church is the foundation of truth in the world. Jesus and his word are the foundation of the church. And the kingdom of God and God's righteousness encompass Christ our king and the church. I want to bring my family up here. Guys, would you come, please? Can we give it up for the Wyrostic clan as they come? They're a little shy. Come on over here, guys. Come stand in front of me or next to me. Come on over here. You going to cry? You going to have fun? Oh, come on. That's okay. Can I hold you? We have to ask ourselves, what are the things that God has already given us that he's asking us to trust and give back to him? That's how we seek the kingdom. So he's given you time. Do you give it back to him at least once a week? The Bible says, keep one day as your day of rest, your Sabbath. Work six, rest one. Everybody who thinks church is pointless, you ask them how they're doing if they're stressed out. Most people will tell you they're stressed out. They haven't learned to rest. The people who go to church when they do it right learn to rest. I preached a whole message on the benefits of going to church. You guys remember that? Better sex lives, better educational lives, better money lives. Of course, I had to start with better sex lives, but it's true. They, they, they did a survey with nurses, and they literally asked them that question, better sex lives, more satisfying. Here we are as a family. Everybody's got to make their sacrifice, but our family, we're going to serve God. I'm not going to put church before God, but I'm going to build the church and my family. I'm not, excuse me, I'm not going to put my family before church. No, wrong way. I'm not going to put my church before family. But this building is not where I just have church at. I'm going to have church in my home. I'm going to have church everywhere I go. So my family will be brought up in church, but not a legalistic sense. So where do you take the church with you? Where do you go with the church? I go with the church back home tonight. And they're, they're going to act up every now and then, and we can't kick them out, can we? No? But they love Jesus. But the thing is, they're going to learn their scriptures. They're going to learn their Bible. And let's say at the end of the day, they choose to be something great, like, you know, lawyers, doctors, whatever. They'll do it on the foundation of the church because they were taught that family is the foundation of our healthy home and our church, and they can't substitute that. Let's take, for example, Nancy. She's so happy to be standing up here. Let's say if Nancy says, I don't want the church in my house because I'm so busy and I don't want to learn scriptures and I don't want to sing songs with the kids. What, what are these kids going to learn? They're going to learn about a stressed-out mom. But let's say she makes time to teach them about Jesus. She shows them that church is the foundation of our family, and family is the foundation of our church. It's, it goes cyclical. Guys, can we sing before we go? You guys want to sing a song? No, but we're going to sing it anyway. Is that okay? You guys, this is the thing a pastor kid, you know, they're going to get embarrassed. Let's, let's sing our, our song, Praise God for the Sing it just a little bit for me. Go ahead. 
I know they know it. Hey, Amen. Let's all stand up. Would you get their families? Augustine, would you bring in the nursery workers? Let's all pray with our families before we go. How many got something out of today? Here's how we're going to do it here. I said it in last service. I don't like to be sassy, but I will say it clearly. If you don't want to do what we're doing church this way, then you find a church to do it their way. Just don't make an excuse to not do anything. Does everybody get that? So if you're like, man, I don't want to do what you guys are talking about, great. Go to New Life Covenant and do it their way. Go to Chicago Tabernacle, do it their way. But do something in the church for Jesus. Grow your faith. Bring your family here every week. Let's share life together. Pray for me. Pray for me. Learn to read your Bible. Study it. We have a 365-day devotional. As they're getting your your kids, I want you to, to know we're making every resource available for you. One of the things that we have in this church is one-on-one discipleship. So let's say like you're starting a business and you really want some encouragement. Ask one of our men who already have a business to help disciple you in that. You don't only have to go through our one-on-one book. You can go through things in life. Do you know that we also do marriage counseling? For any stage of your marriage, you can do marriage counseling. All of those things are there for you. The youth group, one-on-one counseling, one-on-one mentorship, all of those things. Come on over here, little buddy. Come here. Come this way. All right. <laughs> Look at her. Look at how shy she looks. Where does Jesus live? Oh, you can tell us. Tell us where Jesus lives. Oh, my gosh. Come here. Look at Daddy. You're being so silly. Do you not want to tell us where Jesus lives? Okay. But now we get to have your kids come out and see how crazy they are. <laughs> Love God, love people. How many think that's a good thing to do? We're going to do that on our jobs. We're going to do that in our homes. We're going to do that in our schools. How about connect through life groups? Parent, our kids, go to your parents. Run to your parents. Let's give it up for the kids as they come. Run, run, run. You are free. You are free. Let's get Ricky and Rachel up here. Ricky, come on up here with your baby and your kids. That will be fun. Hey, guys, come stand next to your mom. Aren't you guys the coolest? Look at how cool you guys are. Look at, see, I knew, look at, crazy happens. I'm telling you. Look at, let's give it up for Ricky right here. Give it up for Ricky. Guys, you want to be in the band? Oh, my goodness. Do you love Jesus? I can tell these ones are not shy. This one. Come on over here, buddy. Hey, do you want to say, do you love Jesus? No, I didn't want to try to chase him down. It's okay. If they're going to run around, let them, I guess. I'm trying to do my best as well. Do you guys want to help round up one of them? No? <laughs> Everybody got their family? We're going to connect in our life groups. Find a great life group. I can always tell when people are disconnecting from the church because they stop hanging out with us. Find a place to hang out. Find a life group. You know all these kids can come on Wednesdays, Fridays for the teenagers, adults Fridays, marriage life group with these guys right here. 
The youth group. Do you guys like coming to the youth group? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Tony and Jerry, you guys come up here. Don't be shy. Come on up here with your little baby. He's not so little anymore. Let's see what he does. Can he walk around up here? Hey, little buddy, what you going to do if we let you go? Okay. Let's see. Let's just see. Can I just see? Is that okay? Yes, yes, yes. Um, he loves the drums. He's a, mu he's a musical baby. Um, he knows how to grab the sticks and hit the drums. I'm totally not even kidding. And he'll, he'll actually hit every single one of the things if you let him, like if you hold him up there. awesome. We love your family. It's so good to have Melissa and her husband and kids here. Let's give it up for Melissa. They used to be a part of our church. Now they're in Mexico. Come on up. So how's it going in Mexico? Do you like the weather? Yeah, it's a really nice weather. Awesome. Come on up. Look how big you guys are. Look at you. Look at you. Oh my goodness. Let's give it up for this awesome family right here. Amen. I wish that I could just call up all the families, but, uh, Maybe just a few more of the Rojases. Would you guys come up here and your beautiful daughter? Let's give it up for the Rojases as they come. Working hard. Working hard, man. Doing good. Yeah, trying to. Man, I know you're into cars, aren't you? What kind of car do you have? Uh, Honda Civic. <laughs> right. Come on, man. You see, think about this. All these ideas. I didn't even get time into this uh, in the second service. But all these ideas that men have and women have that we do with our hobbies is all going to be in the kingdom. You know, a lot of times you hear people talking about grandpas fishing up in heaven. See, that's not true. None of that's in heaven. All of heaven is about worshiping and ready for God to come back. The kingdom is about those things. Cars. And you know what I was talking about with ladies? Shopping in nice clothes. The princess movie theme. How many of you all ladies still like the princesses in movies? My wife loves these things. I got such a heavy revy about this one day. That is the kingdom. The king always has the princess. The castle is awesome. All the trees and all the animals are talking. Dude, literally, it's going to be like that in the kingdom of God. The Bible says things will come alive. A serpent could talk in the garden because God allowed it to. And animals could talk if God allowed them to. They may not be like our best buddies. I don't know. Who knows what they will do in the kingdom of God. But there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff going on around there. And I just say it like this. If people in Hollywood can show you these things, what do you think the kingdom of God is going to be like? It's going to be bigger than what you imagined. Amen. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for our families. We know we've been here for a while. But, Lord, we pray that we will start our new year with you, that we will build our foundations upon your foundation of the word, and that we will trust you with our lives. We'll put the kingdom in our families and our families in the kingdom. We'll put our family in church and our church and family, and we will let them influence each other until it changes this world. And one day you walk among us and make everything right. Help us to always know and love you in all that we do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Tell somebody you love them. Give them a high five. Hang out. If you need prayer, we'll be up here.
Oh, my.